Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free anytime you want it at thejazzsession.com. I don't normally mention this, and I should, but there is a free widget for the Jazz Session available from allaboutjazz.com. This widget can be easily placed on almost any blog or website, and what it will do is put a little box on your blog or website that shows the most uh, current Jazz Session episode, just a little picture of the artist and the title of the episode and a link people can click to go right to it. If you put that on your blog or website, let me know because I will thank you and put a link to your blog or website, not only at thejazzsession.com, but also in the weekly newsletter that goes out to, uh, I think, about a 1,000 people or so. So definitely uh, you know, take All About Jazz up on that. It's very easy to do. Just visit allaboutjazz.com, and down toward the bottom of the page, you'll see an example of this widget, and you can uh, click on it to get the code that you need. It's, it's pretty easy. If you've ever put anything like an ad or a, you know, a graphic for another website or anything like that on your website before, uh, this is pretty easy to handle. Speaking of things on the Internet, if you go to thejazzsession.com, you'll see a link for the mailing list. Or if you're on Facebook, if you type The Jazz Session into the Facebook search box, you'll find the Facebook uh, group for the show. I would join one or the other, but not both of those, because they're really identical. In either case, you'll get one email each Monday morning, either in your email clients inbox or in your Facebook inbox, telling you what's coming up on the show for the next couple weeks, giving you some detailed information about uh, the current week's episodes, and then also uh, usually some links to some other things you might find interesting in the jazz world. If you're listening to this show, you know, round about the time it's actually released, uh, this is the final show of the year 2009 which has been a really wonderful year for the jazz session. I couldn't be happier about it. No, that's not true. This is actually, if you're listening to this when it comes out, this is the first show of 2010. Happy New Year. Welcome to the new year. This is actually New Year's Day 2010, if you're listening to this as it comes out. Uh, so one thing that is changing in the new year is that the jazz session is going from three episodes, which was always a crazy idea, uh, down to two, which is a, a rational idea. Uh, it was never going to stay at three episodes. But I had so many interviews recorded in the first part of this year that if I didn't go up to three episodes, you know, I would record ep interviews that wouldn't air for eight months, and that seemed a little ridiculous. So three a week for uh, four or five months helped clean out the backlog, and now the show will air uh, on Mondays and Thursdays. Of course, it's available to you anytime online, but uh, new episodes will be posted each Monday and Thursday starting, uh, if you're listening to this in real time, more or less, starting next week, the first full week of January uh, 2010. If you're listening to this in, you know, 2034 or whatever, when the Martians have landed, well, then all those episodes have already been posted and uh, deal with it as you will. You know, it's actually possible this show could still be going on in 2034. <laughs> that would be that would be really insane. Now, how many years would that be? That would be uh, 27 years of the jazz session. <laughs> That's a lot of jazz sessions. Wow. I'm quite certain to have been institutionalized by 2034, one way or the other, either in the criminal justice or, or mental health system. So I don't think there's any chance this show will still be going on in 2034. So uh, with that said, let's uh, turn now to something that I think uh, the jazz session is known for far and wide, and that is uh, expertise in basketball. My guest today is Nathaniel Friedman, who is uh, one of the guys behind FreeDarko.com. And uh, he is going to talk to us about the jazz 
and basketball meme. If you see Ken Burns' jazz documentary or really hear people in this day and age uh, talk about jazz, you will often hear people liken jazz to basketball and, according to Nathaniel, the other way around, too. And so he's here to give us uh, his insight into the jazz basketball meme. And really, there's only one way you can musically start a show in which the conversation deals with both jazz and basketball, and it is this way. My guest is Nathaniel Friedman. He is a co-author of a book called The Macro-Phenomenal Pro-Basketball Almanac, which has got to be the greatest title for maybe any book, but certainly for a sports book. He's also a co-author of a great website called freedarko.com, uh, which is a site about basketball, which you know is always the focus here at the Jazz Session, uh, but is really, really worth your time, freedarko.com, just like it sounds, and we'll link it from uh, the show notes at thejazzsession.com. Nathaniel, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, uh, I'm about to ask you the first thing, and in fact the only thing I have lined up to ask you, and hopefully that'll <laughs> fill the next half hour. Uh, but before we do that, um, I know that you, uh, like me at one time or another, have written for All About Jazz, and I was I went back and I you know, read all the various things that you'd written and came across one that was titled, Did Anyone Make Out to Archie Shep? Which I thought was a fantastic uh, title and a fantastic query, and I wonder, did you ever get to the bottom of that and find out whether any children were conceived uh, to the music of Archie Shep? I can't. Who? I think that was a piece on was it Michael Blake. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. He. 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 I, that, yeah. I remember that because he said that um, because we were sort of talking about you know a, a lot of when I was I should probably say as point of background that I was a, a well obviously I was a jazz writer for a while. But um, when he, that was you know that was back when there was a lot of people who just first started you know experimenting with like covering pops like recent pop songs and playing in more rockish sounding bands you know like indie rock sounding outfits and and I was talking to Michael Blake about some of that stuff and about like writing music coming from a generation that has this sort of like you know a deep uh, abiding love for you know rock and punk and stuff like that and his point was. He wanted to, you know, yeah, 
God, man, I'm, I'm already rambling. Yeah, that was his his point was even though he was kind of like an out there jazz player, he also valued songs and valued the power of songs. I don't know why I didn't just bring up standards in response to that. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I think you know that. No, I, I think that I think it was a rhetorical question because. I don't even like Archie Ship that much. I wonder if you said like Isler or something. Yeah, I mean That's the only would... the only film scene I can think of that uh, is overtly uh, a sex scene scored to jazz is one in which jazz is kind of maligned, um, and that's in Jerry Maguire. Uh, where uh, Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger are given a tape of Charles Mingus and Eric Dolphy, and uh, and I think the other side is John Coltrane, and during the only love scene in the film, that is playing, and they just begin laughing and saying like, "What, what the hell is this music?" So that's the only the only overt reference to having sex to jazz I can immediately think of. Which... Well, wait, wait, hold up. There was a Downbeat did a poll. I don't know when I was like twelve or something. How, uh, when I was like reading Downbeat as a kid or something, I was like fourteen or something. They did a poll about albums people lost their virginity to, and Kind of Blue was like far and away, you know, something like twenty thousand people said they lost their virginity to Kind of Blue. <laughs> um, and you know, and it stands to reason that if you want to start really getting into like blurring the divide between pop and jazz, you know, sort of pre-bop, I'm sure there's plenty of jazz that's in a pre-bop vein that, that would be great to do it to i just i just think it was like if we're talking about things that that are a little more like ragged or intense or you know sort of would fall in the sonic category of uh you know rock and beyond yeah i had never i had never really thought of kind of blue as apparently referring to the color that the pregnancy test thing turns but uh <laughs> but, but maybe that's where it's at so um anyone who has watched uh even a minute of uh, Wynton Marsalis, for example, talking about jazz, um, has heard him liken it to basketball. And as I understand it, you are not in the basketball is jazz is basketball camp. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what people, what you think people mean when they make that analogy and why you disagree? Okay, well, to be charitable to people who just sort of make it almost as a reflex and I'm sometimes guilty of this myself I mean I'm working on our second parts we're working on our second book and I was writing about something and I referred to someone as a soloist and, and you know there is a way in which in a very 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 generic way yes in jazz there is a tension between the individual and the group and um, there are you know there's a structure and there's improvisation and there's people's individual styles that are a reflection of what kind of person they are and stuff. But it just, it's this kind of analogy that people just seem to be so invested in taking as literally as possible. And I think, I mean, there, there are two things that strike me kind of absolutely ridiculous about it. Um, one is that, like, the notion of structure in basketball is so different than the notion of structure in jazz. I mean, for the simple fact that you can't really, there's, there's no such thing as like a totally, as like a rhythm section, per se, at least not unless you want to, um, it's not if there's like a couple guys who just sort of like, you know, sit back and don't do much until it's time for them to like go and get a rebound. I mean, even if you're a guy who never shoots the ball, you're still going to be like running around and setting picks and blah, 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 blah. Um, Francis Davis, the jazz writer who I used to be a research assistant to, and I was talking to him about this a couple of years ago, said that he always thought jazz was more like baseball. <laughs> you know, like one guy stands <laughs> up, goes to bat, 
sits down, someone else does. But it, it it's also part of like this larger thing, though, where, and this is where I kind of start to be semi-serious about it, which is that, you know, it's pretty clear that if you look at sort of the aesthetic of basketball playing, and not not just the kind of like the game of the abstract, but, you know, the rhythms of the players and the kinds of moves people make, if you want to do, talk, if you want to talk about it that way, obviously it's reflective of a lot more of whatever sort of pop music is popular that day than it is jazz. You know, um, one of the things I think is like amazing, amazing to do is if you watch the NBA games when they put on like a radio rap song in the stadium, like certain players just naturally sort of like lock into the rhythm and they're playing. And it's not to say like, oh, black people are rhythm, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there is this relationship between the rhythms of music and the way some people play basketball. However, I don't think at this point in history it's true that music for anyone in the NBA would be jazz. And it's just, it's just a bizarre thing to say when you have now, you know, such a clear connection between basketball and hip-hop on so many levels to say that, oh, well, the, the proper analogy for basketball is, is really jazz because I just don't think it's, it's an analogy that I'm not, even, I'm not sure most people who play the game would necessarily want to take much further than, oh, yeah, sometimes you, know, you, you make stuff up and, you know, there's a play and sometimes you go make something up within the play. Um, oh, and one last thing about it that bugs me. Sorry, see, I told you I could just uh, rant no, about this. It's, please, on you go. Uh, the last thing about it that, that kind of bugs me is this one time ESPN, the magazine, did a photo shoot based on basketball being jazz. And they had Larry Hughes, who, if the listeners, for listeners who aren't basketball fans, is just sort of like this mediocre journeyman guard. He had a couple good seasons, he's injured a lot. He's always somehow making the way, 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 way more than he should. They had him and then Sean Marion, who's a player who was on the Suns at the time, who's actually like a very lively, exciting player who, you know, if ever there were a team that were on which basketball was jazz, it might be that Suns team where there was just like a lot of um, tempo action and very little in the way of set plays other than sort of a loose blueprint of who might go to who when and then who would then, you know, be the person to create the shot. Which again, when I put it like that, it's so vague. Like, sure, I guess that's jazz. You know, that happens sometimes in jazz. Let's call basketball jazz. But they put, they dressed them up as like '40s musicians and posed them with like saxophones and upright basses. And it just was like, I am like, who exactly is, is this for? Like, who who sees this and is like, oh, exactly. Like, this is a re-, you know, you might as well have like put them in like you know, Elizabethan costumes or something, been like, oh, this guy is like Prospero or something. I don't know. It's Well, it, it's... And, okay, sorry, one last thing. And there's also this way in which, you know, I'm someone who writes about sports perhaps far more seriously than they should be taken. But, you know, I think jazz is clearly, you know, jazz is an art form. Basketball is not. Basketball is a sport in which people do some very creative things. Um and to somehow say that, you know, aesthetically, yeah, there's, like, some things vaguely in common between the two, but to say that somehow, you know, Michael Jordan is the Charlie Parker of his era, I mean, that's just dumb. It's uh, this this uh, academic, um, John Hoberman, who was, uh, I knew it when I was at UT in grad school, he's got a big thing about this, where he's basically like, there's this whole huge thing among sort of, like a certain strain of, of black intellectual, you know, that the Whitten Marsalis is kind of part of, where it's like, let's make everything respectable by, you know, or let's, uh, you know, let's let's make sports respectable by saying that they're like art, 
and they're part of our, our artistic tradition. It's like, you know, it's okay to just say, say, you know, some sports are more interesting and more creative than others, and leave it at that. You don't have to, you know, compare boxers to, like, I don't know, James Baldwin or whatever. That's a terrible thing. Anyway, uh, that's, those are my talking points on it. I guess uh, for me though, I I don't see it so much as an attempt to make basketball respectable as it is an attempt to make jazz uh, to to allow jazz to pick up two things from basket or from basketball that jazz no longer has. Uh, one is coolness, and two is popularity in the black community. Um, and you know that that idea of like like it is the current now cool thing to be doing, and black people like it, which really are not generally things that apply in the popular conception to jazz. I mean, I don't see it as an attempting to confer jazz's dignity and respect on basketball as much as I do saying, you know, hey, look how much these things have in common. That must mean that jazz is cool, too, which really, which seems equally weak to me um, huh. and unsuccessful. What's weird, though, is, is that it's done sometimes in ways where it seems like there is some attempt, though, to tread on jazz's meaning, because there, it's not like... It's not like it's like um, it's not like the National Jazz Association of America or whatever is like trying to get you know Brandon Jennings to be their spokesperson. I mean, you know, like there was um, there was some Spike Lee commercials, Spike Lee commercials done for for Nike a few years ago that were like Ray Allen or you know just in a in a gym practicing with just some you know nondescript Mo Better Blues sounding neo bop playing or whatever, right? And it's like. They could have gone and used any kind of music in the world, you know? And certainly from, from like, the advertiser's perspective, I mean, maybe, maybe you know, maybe Spike Lee was like, you know, it'd be cool if I could make people think jazz was cool again. But, like, Nike doesn't give a... Uh, I don't know if I can curse or not. Nike doesn't care about whether or not people, you know, think jazz is, is worthwhile. And, you know, when you, when you talk about, like, what Marcel was talking about, you know, when they put those, those things up on, those, on the New York Times, they put that, like, a video up on the New York Times front page of him talking about basketball, right? Well, you know, that's sort of 50-50. Like, it's very hard for me to think that, that the goal there is to get people to be like, wow, I always hated jazz, but now here's a jazz musician talking about basketball. I mean, it's like there's so much jazz there, it almost seems to be... It's like, you, why would you even look at that if you didn't care about when Russ Alice to begin with, you know? Yeah, no, I, I guess I see your point. The um, the reason I thought, I thought and, and to some degree still think the way I do about it, is that I never hear 
and this quite possibly could be because of my exposure is very unequal to basketball writers and jazz writers. It's much heavier on the jazz side. But I never hear a basketball player make the basketball as jazz analogy, and maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but I often hear jazz people make the jazz as basketball analogy. And so uh, it's, it strikes me that the, the community that is attempting to make the analogy is the jazz side, not, not the basketball side, um, which is why I thought you know that the that it's much more the jazz community attempting to uh, i don't know in, interlock itself in some way for whatever purpose and I could be wrong about the purpose uh, than it is the basketball community trying to but again my exposure to basketball writing is m- you know much less than it is to jazz writing so maybe I just don't Yeah and in in all in all truth I mean I've not read I mean I I basically stopped writing about music around the time I realized I just felt like writing about sports instead. So, I mean, I haven't really, I don't read, like, a lot of, of music writing of any kind anymore these days. But, you no, know, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, it's not, obviously, it's not something players say. It's like, it's it's more something that comes out of, out of again, sort of um, serious writers about sports, um, you know, intellectuals when they decide to write about sports. You know, like I was saying, this whole thing about, like, the aesthetics of basketball being this great cultural achievement. Or you know, like the um, the st- like uh, you know the reason we got in touch is because you had this thing about trying to schedule an interview with Kareem. You know, to me, and I feel weird talking about him mad that he's like has this awful illness. But I wasn't gonna like say anything terrible about him anyway. But I just think you know, it's like the whole. I always feel like there, it's like it's like Kareem saying like, no, you know, I'm a very serious man. I'm a very intelligent man, and I can really give you this perspective on basketball that is beyond it just being the sport. You know. And I think I think just again in like casual casual language, you know, it, it's like if I have to listen to like another person just accidentally refer to like improvisation in basketball, you know, I actually just sort of to amuse myself, I was at my mother's house and she made me take a bunch of boxes of books with me, and I had Derek Bailey's book Improvisation, and I decided to take it out and start reading it and pretend I was reading about basketball, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's just it's like. Yes, like yes, technically, in the most like 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 basic sense of the word, it's improvisational. But you know, I mean, it's also improvisational when I like when I was like seven and I would like bang on the xylophone. I mean, make in just and obviously, like yes, it's more sophisticated than that. But in the sense that improvisation in jazz isn't just like the literal fact of making stuff up. You know, there's a context for it, and there's it's part of like a larger structure of creating, you know, work and meaning and stuff. The same thing is true in basketball. You know, I mean, like the the framework for improvisation, as it were, in basketball is winning a basketball game and you know scoring a basket. There's no scoring a basket or no sort of like desired outcome in jazz. I mean, if there were, I mean, that's actually like fairly antithetical, I think, to what anyone you know who actually you know, whatever, like, plays a solo without relying on cliches or formulas would tell you. It's like, you're not trying to end up, go, end up at, like, you know, on this note at the end. You know, you're supposed to just be, you know, I guess you've got to end up on the right chord, sort of, whatever that means. But that's different than saying, we're going to run this play expressly to get the ball in the basket. It really doesn't matter how the ball gets in the basket, but it would be cool if, you know, but some people might think it's cool, or it might be a little easier for us to if you know such and such <laughs> guard does a dribble that comes out of nowhere and throws up his defender. 
I mean, it, the analogy would be like if in, in jazz you were like, okay, the point of jazz is just to arpeggiate chords, and ideally that's what you do, but sometimes if you get distracted, you can throw in a grace note or something. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like the level at which that analogy operates, uh, the, the basketball jazz analogy, is equally applicable to almost everything in life, which is not not repeated because it's impossible to repeat in, in almost any process. Impo- well, no, in any process, impossible to exactly repeat something, but you're doing it within some sort of understood context. I mean, ba- jazz could be like a kitchen, you know, where the recipes are the same, but they're not made exactly the same way every day. Or like this conversation where, you know, we we have we speak the same language and we have some idea about the way the words are put together, but we're not exactly sure how we're going to make the sentences and so on and so forth. I mean, it's you have to take the analogy to such a shallow level that it can really apply to almost any human activity, it seems like. Right, and I, that's why I feel like, you know, in if you are going to talk about some sort of similarity, it would have to be... It can't just, it has to be sort of like, again, like an aesthetic one. And if you actually do talk about the aesthetics and not sort of like the concept of the sport, but if you actually talk about sort of, again, like the rhythms of the game, for lack of a better word, like it, it's not jazz, you know? Like, that's not, I mean, you know, maybe, you know, if you go back and, and watch like, you know, old game tape from, you know, whatever. You know, like the fifties, like yeah, I mean maybe maybe you could see some of it there. Though I mean I, you know I, I don't know that that's sort of that becomes like a very weird exercise. But you know, um, you know when you in, you know in the I'd, t- I'd say basically I don't know as long as like people have been like routinely playing basketball in gyms with like portable radios, listening to music on basketball courts like, late at night. I think, you know, that there's that whole strain of basketball that a lot of players come from, and I think it does, you know, the two are linked in some way, and it, it does in some way show up in people's games, but, and again, though, I mean, that's also, this leading me down another dangerous and possibly even more offensive path, but I mean, I, I at least feel comfortable saying, let's talk about the way that basketball Let's, play, let's, yeah, let's talk about the way that basketball is like hip-hop. Let's talk about the way that, like, a player um, defining his style and realizing how it reflects him and, you know, relying on certain standby, certain standard moves and a common... I, mean, I don't know. I mean, see, now I'm just sputtering again, but it just... That same sort of language, it, it, even though I guess I could be still be talking about jazz... I still, I just still feel more comfortable applying it to hip hop and basketball because. Well, not to mention, if you just play the odds, the the chances that, you know, if you, uh, that all of the players on the court, the chances that 
uh, some, that they are hip hop fans or really fans of almost anything or jazz fans. I mean, the, the chances that they're jazz fans is very small. I'm sure there are some jazz fans, you know, in the ranks of the NBA, and I'm also sure that we could probably comfortably have them all over for dinner. And, you know, it's just, I don't think it's that large a number. So it seems like if you're going to compare something that is as culturally pervasive as basketball, you can't compare it, you can't say that it takes its, uh, you know, its musical influence from something that's as culturally negligible in modern times as jazz. It just doesn't seem to make sense. What are the chances that jazz and the rhythms of jazz has actually influenced a large number of players in the modern NBA? It seems, it seems the chances are tiny. That could be true. Well, then you get into the whole is hip hop jazz, which is another thing that's <laughs> right. preposterous to claim too. <laughs> so. An endward down, endless downward spiral. I think it could. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's. And I mean, and this, this, you know, it's. Yeah, I, I think your 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 kit, your point about a kit, the kitchen analogy was good because I like to cook. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I you know, I'm trying to think though if. If uh, and most a lot of people like to cook, very few athletes like to cook, but you know, <laughs> you know, people understand cooking, and I, I wonder if uh, you know somehow the you know <laughs> the practice of following a recipe has made its way into the game of basketball. I don't know. No, I mean that's <laughs> it's it's it just turns into this weird game though, where um, I, you know I, I feel like you can you know you can sit down and 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 you could interview an athlete and say something like and make an make some sort of analogy to the way a rapper does X. And they would at least be able to, you know, they might, they, you know, would respond to you, maybe just like, are like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But I just don't even feel like the musical analogy that if you ask them to compare playing basketball and it, it, to music, I, I just don't feel like jazz, I feel like you just explain why the jazz point made sense. Um, just because it's not, it's not the, like you said, it's not the music most basketball players listen to. So why would it? Uh... But you know, at the same time, though, I mean, like it's, and, and this is another thing that bugs me is that you can actually occasionally make some like really clever comparisons using it if it weren't something that were like driven into the ground. You know, like the great cliche from you know almost every writer who has any familiarity with jazz writing about you know like Earl Monroe was to say he was like Thelonious Monk because there's all these like herky-jerky stops and starts and you know unexpected like twists and turns and you know and again doesn't work perfectly doesn't actually really describe well it doesn't describe like the, the relationship between composition and improvisation it's pretty basic to like talking about Monk at all but it's like it's you know it's a nice little analogy and I like when people make it Except for the fact that everyone makes it, and it feeds into this larger discourse of, and you know that shows that basketball is like jazz. You know, it's the same thing with with hip hop as jazz. I mean, it's kind of I can't even think of a good one, but I'm sure there's like, you know, some way of saying like so and so is like this sonorous voice and like laid back delivery, and they're kind of like I don't know Kenny Dorham or something. I'm just like, and and I don't know who would actually find that interesting besides. I don't know who would. Well, maybe some people. But you know, that would be like a cute thing to say, and people would say like, "Oh, wow, that's a that's a clever comparison to make." But that doesn't just because you can sometimes make a comparison, it doesn't mean it's grounds for for talking about it as if it were the rule. And in well, fact, I, if you said someone is like Kenny Dorham, it's a cute comparison that I'm guessing four readers would get. 
<laughs> assuming there were you, there were at least four readers. But yeah, I, I, no one would no one would get a comparison to Kenny Dorham. Even a lot of jazz fans wouldn't get a comparison to Kenny Dorham nowadays because the world the world has moved on. I, what, one thing I wanted to ask you about that you mentioned before was that idea of some some sense of need to elevate sports uh, to the level of art. I don't even know if to the level of is the right phrase there, but is is that a do you think that's a fairly a recent phenomenon, trying to equate sports with art in that way? It's funny. I, th- I think, you know, this particular need to make sports serious or make sports like art, you know, it's weird because obviously there is an aesthetic dimension to sports and there are certain players that people like because of the way they play the game, not just because they're good at it, but because the way they play the game looks. Um, But I think, you know, it's it's just strange. I think that it's like people have have people have problems either just inhabiting that middle ground cognitively and saying, "Okay, what that person just did was beautiful, but it's not, it, but it was ultimately utilitarian, you know, or functional or something." And I also think, though, there's this. I think there is, there was at least at one point this kind of like, okay, well, there all there's this like incredibly interesting storied um, body of I don't, I don't know what to call it work uh, done by African Americans in this country you know Mike, Michael Jordan is was arguably like the most famous man on earth for a while and he was a basketball player you know let's see if we can make this into more than just a game where sometimes people do stuff that looks cool you know let's see if we can you know, uh, describe this in language that makes it seem like it's a more important, it's a more important cultural contribution than it actually is. And again, it's because people aren't quite comfortable with just saying, you know, it's like this argument I have sometimes with people about the idea of, you know, like, is there such thing as like athletic genius or something, right? Obviously, if you go by like any, you know, real world definition of genius, it it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But, you know, if you watch certain people play sports, it's clear that some people just have, like, an innate ability to, to understand space and time and blah, blah, blah. That works so well with a particular sport that it's like they might as well have invented it or invented a new strain of it, right? I don't know. I mean, again, I think it's just, it's just like our society is, like, so both people who like sports and people who don't like sports it's sort of thought of as the dumbest thing in the world, right? You know? And, like, never mind the whole, the whole like, cultural politics angle to it. If you're someone smart who likes sports, you know, you get kind of defensive because you don't want people thinking you're dumb, and you don't want people thinking that when you watch sports, you become as dumb as other people supposedly watching sports. So there's, I'd say there's, there's, you know, there's three different reasons. That was actually three different distinct reasons why people would try and make sports more serious, usually by comparing it to art, I guess.
Nathaniel, can you uh, can you just tell folks um, about freedarko.com and also um, about the macro phenomenal pro basketball almanac? Which there wasn't really need for me to say again. I could have said the book, but I really like saying the title. <laughs> well, actually, they were both. Uh, these are both experiments and making sports way too serious and comparing it to things it's not, and basically avoiding talking too much about winning and losing and psychoanalyzing athletes and. Uh, having an illustrator for the book draw weird portraits of people in which they're references to what was a beef in England. All the things that I said were complete over the course of this <laughs> call that I said are terrible ideas. And I actually did compare, compare someone to, I think I compared Gilbert Arenas to the Washington Wizards to, to the longest monk. Um, Fantastic. <laughs> it's kind of like a huge testament to the hypocrisy of the average interview here on the Jazz Session, <laughs> which I really, well, which I really but, like. But, <laughs> I, I will say this. I mean, I think I come from a, a particular strain of sort of, you know, I, I come from sort of like this um, weird moment in American irony where I will do something incredibly earnest and yet also want to be able to turn on a dime and say I didn't mean any of it. Right. So, I mean, I guess it's sort of just like I have this, I, I you know, I'm not a dumb person I don't think I'm, a, I'm at least a pretentious person so I, I can't help but think about sports in that way I can never fully like turn off that part of my brain and I like to think that either when we write about sports like that it's either a um, you know it's either just sort of a way of engaging it without trying to make it into something it's not you know maybe there's another angle we can appreciate it from while fundamentally acknowledging that it's still a game played for millions and millions of dollars that appeals to the lowest common denominator of, you know, people taking something in on television or whatever. And I, but I also maybe, you know, want to poke fun again at all these things, at the idea of making it more serious than it is. So, yeah, I guess I, I don't take myself too seriously in taking sports too seriously. Yeah, and I was, of course, kidding about the hypocrisy thing. I actually think that given how large a role sports plays in the modern human experience in really all cultures, I mean, it's in many ways it is kind of irrespective of uh, social class and you know economic standing. Um, I think it's it's such a it's so tied into the human experience that writing about it seriously I, to me seems like writing about any other part of the human experience. I mean, it it is a dominant part. Of our of our culture to engage of, of all cultures to engage in some sort of sporting activity, and so it seems like it's perfectly fine to write about it as serious because it is serious, even if it's serious in a different way than art is serious. I mean, it's still you, you can't spend that much time as a as a a human race engaged in sports without it meaning something. Players have great symbolic value. Uh, individual games have great symbolic value. Again, there there are incredible aesthetic moments in sports that are part of why people love sports. And I, I guess, again, you know, you know, that's part of what I, I'd like to see, though, is I don't like it when people are lazy about taking sports seriously. I don't like it when they act like they're doing sports a favor by taking it seriously and somehow, like, assimilating it into some other conversation. You know, I mean, I, I almost would like to see more things compared to... <laughs> I would like to see more things compared to sports in some ways. In, in, in an intelligent manner. I mean, that I think would make me more happy. More happy. <laughs> I would like to be able to speak English before I would talk. <laughs> no, I mean, but, but you know, I, I just think, yeah, I mean, I think when you were talking about, about jazz wanting, about jazz needing, wanting to use basketball to give itself credibility, I mean, that's 
I guess I don't know how I feel about that, but you know, I would think it was kind of neat. If well, okay, here's a here's a true story that shows that I'm dumb. Who was it? Shoot, someone. Maybe it was like a Kurt Rosenwig or it was Michael Turner. Maybe had like a had a song on one of his records called Iverson's Dance. I thought it was. I just assumed it was Alan Iverson. Turned it was Ethan Iverson, right? <laughs> But, I mean, I just I just thought that was, I mean, maybe, I probably should have figured that out, honestly. But, you know, at the time, I was living in Philly, and I just, I was like, you know, how interesting would that be, and just neat would that be if someone just wrote a song, uh, wrote a tune that was in some way, you know, based on or a tribute to or somehow reflective of Alan Iverson. You know, and that, that didn't seem like such a stretch in my mind. It didn't, you know, and... Yeah, again, I think I'd rather I'd rather see people do things like that, like use sports as points of reference for serious things than, than go out and, and try to find more serious things they can compare sports to. You know, this game is like John Updike. Like, who cares? That is uh, Nathaniel Friedman from freedarko.com, just like it sounds, F-R-E-E-D-A-R-K-O.com. You'll find a link in the show notes at thejazzsession.com. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. My name is Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by allaboutjazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free anytime you want it at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. My thanks to the Respect Sextet. They are playing very soon now, if you're listening to this in more or less real time. They're playing on January 12th at Le Poisson Rouge in New York City at the site of the old Village Gate. Opening for them on January 12th will be Ethan Iverson of The Bad Plus. I'll be there, and I hope you will be too. If it's been your life's ambition to meet me in person, (laughs) Uh, anyway, I'll be there. So uh, stop on by, would you? And actually, some other quite well-known musicians who've been guests on this show are also going to be there if Facebook is to be believed, which my experience is that it is not. But if it is to be believed at all, uh, you may get to meet some other people that are even more interesting than me, which is pretty much everyone else there. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. And most importantly, thank you for listening. Do go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, okay? And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you.